Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. It's BFW's show where we go over the big news and events of the week. As always, Bayern Munich leaves us plenty to talk about, but I'm going to change the format up of how we do things on this show a little bit. I wanted to try something new. I wanted to really narrow it down to focus on five things that we learned this week. And uh, I think that this will be a little bit better format and help it flow better and really help us cover those big topics that we saw over the course of the week and do it in such a way that we can wrap this show up nice and succinctly uh, for your listening pleasure, hopefully. But (laughs) when it comes down to identifying those five things that we learned this week, uh, there'd be no other place to start than with Carl Heinz Rummenigge going all scorched earth on Nicholas Sula and Marcel Sabitzer. We did learn that Carl Heinz Rummenigge still has an edge to him. Uh, so when you look at Rummenigge's comments, and obviously, um, you know, th- these were, I think, over the top and, and borderline out of line. Uh, I don't agree with him uh, on the Sula take at all. Although I do think his Marcel Sabitzer um, comments, while they have merit and uh, are likely true, probably didn't need to be said at this point. But let's start by rehashing what Rumenega said exactly. Uh, when he was uh, making a television appearance on Sky Sport, Rumenega talked about Sula and said, the problem is that he's never really established himself in his position. When you line up the best players in the team, Nicholas Sula is not there at the moment. He has to question himself. Mm, I don't agree with that one bit. When you look at Sula's performance this season, I don't know how you can really say that any other defender has been as good or consistent as him. I think Luca Hernandez has been just about as good as Sula. I, I rate Sula a little bit higher this season. I think they've both been better than Dio Upamakano. But Sula, for me, with his versatility, his strength, his speed, uh, just the way he carries himself, his technical ability, he is the modern-day center back that I think every team would strive to have. I don't understand Rumenega's intentions with these statements. Is it to motivate Sula? Is it frustration because Sula will be leaving the club for free in the summer? I mean, that's what I suspect it is. But either way, to say it now and to create this kind of issue, it just didn't make sense. And with Sula being really one of the players that I think Julian Nagelsmann is going to have to lean on as this season moves forward, I just didn't get Rumenega's assessment of Sula, and I thought it was just over the top and unnecessary. I think Sula's been great this season. Uh, I don't agree with Carl Heinz Rumenega at all. Uh, I do respect his opinion greatly, and we'll cover that in a second. But uh, I I don't agree with Sula. Now, with Marcel Sabitzer, this one actually, I think it's stabbed a little bit harder because Sabitzer obviously has been struggling. He has been unable to really establish himself. He has not looked good on the pitch. He's played out of position. He's just not settling in. He has not been able to adapt to Bayern Munich. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, if there are personal issues, locker room issues, or something else, or if he's just, maybe his game has fallen off. I don't know. What I do know is he's not the same player that we saw for all those years at RB Leipzig because he just doesn't look the same. Uh, He looks unsure of himself on the pitch. And when you have that little bit of doubt seeping into your game, um, you know, it does affect your performance. And I think that 
Sabitzer has suffered from that. And as I've stated many times, I don't think he can be in a position where he's not the starter. I think this has made him totally uncomfortable. I don't think this acquisition has worked out. I don't think it will work out in the long run and not because Sabitzer is not talented, but I just think this is not a fit. It's like we saw with Sebastian Rudy when he came over from Hoffenheim. Rudy at the time was a well-regarded defensive midfielder, came into a position where Bayern Munich was just absolutely stacked, never really got comfortable, never really looked like he fit in on the squad, and subsequently it sent his career into really a free fall that he never recovered from, unfortunately. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen with Sabitzer. Uh, I think Sabitzer still has a lot to offer. I just think he'll probably need to move on. Um, you know, but with with Rumenega saying he was a luxury transfer and he hasn't really improved the squad in the way we have imagined, just completely unnecessary again. And I, I think that it was uncalled for. I don't think that Rumenega needed to say it. I think any fan uh, not wearing blinders can see that Sabitzer has struggled and has not given Bayern Munich what they were looking for when they acquired him earlier in the season. Now, for younger fans or for fans that might be newer to following Bayern Munich, you might look at Karl Heinz Rummenigge and say, well, who is this old guy? He's just giving us his old man act back in my day, blah, blah, blah. What I would say is I think if you want to get a crash course on the importance of Karl Heinz Rummenigge and what he meant to the club and how he has helped the club evolve to the state that it's currently in and how successful it is, definitely check out the Byron documentary. Uh, it will give you not just the background on Karl Heinz Rummenigge, but Honus uh, and several other key figures in the club's history. Um, you know, I think, you know, Honus and Rummenigge often get compared to uh, Waldorf and Statler from the Muppet show, um, which is kind of funny because when they were sitting in the stands together for all those years, it kind of, um, looked like that from the outside, but in reality, uh, they were two just vitally important figures to the club's history and getting the club, getting the club to this point. Um, but every now and again, they both misspeak. And I think this is what happened here. Uh, it was very unfortunate. It's kind of a distraction. It wasn't needed. Luckily it was not coming off the heels of a match. This of course was all during an international break. So hopefully this blows over, but I would doubt that either player will forget what was said. So um, not a big fan of those statements. And I hope that Carl Heinz Rummenigge uh, recuses himself from making those kind of statements in the future. I mean, it was great fodder for us on the website because it was, it was just very condemning of two good players, but um, you know, it's not, I don't think it's anything that anyone really wants to see. Another thing that we learned this week is that, Chelsea's Andreas Christensen is Bayern's plan A. Uh, there is no doubt Bayern Munich is looking to replace Nicolas Sula in the summer. He is too big of a talent to just not replace. And even though the club has good young players with Chris Richards, who is on loan at Hoffenheim, uh, Tangai Nianzu, who is a very deep reserve. I mean, these are players with ability. Richards, I rate higher than any of the other uh, young defenders uh, that Bayern Munich has in uh in its overall roster including the loaned out players um you know if anyone richards would be the player that i would look to but i think Bayern munich is looking for someone a little more established um and while richards has a very high ceiling i, I think when you compare him to an older player like christensen who's 
not old by any means, but more experience uh, and has played in the Premier League. I think that Byron is really looking to go all in on him. Uh, I believe the report because it seems like uh, there have just been too many in- inquiries, too many reports, too many stories that are linking Byron to Christensen. Uh, whether they can actually work out a financial deal or not remains to be seen. But uh, with him being plan A, uh, it really leaves Byron in a spot to where they need to get the deal done. Because another thing that we learned this week is they don't have a plan B or a plan C. We had heard last week that Rudiger, Antonio Rudiger, Matthias Ginter, Nico Schlauterbeck were all parts of contingency plans. But it doesn't appear that that's the case. It looks like Bayern Munich is going all in on Andreas Christensen and really would skip over Rudiger. They don't think that they could afford Rudiger or Schlotterbeck, actually, and then would only really consider Matthias Ginter if everything else failed. So that's not really <laughs> that's not really a way to warm up to a player uh, who is also entering free agent status like Ginter. Uh, you know, Bayern Munich is a lot of things. Uh, warm and welcoming is not always that. And even though these are rumors, uh, it does seem like there could be some merit to that. So with a lack of a plan B or a plan C, it looks like Bayern will go all in on Christensen. Whether they can get that deal done or not, I don't know. When I look at Christensen as a player, I think he's very solid. I think he can be a stable presence on the back line. I don't think he is dynamic, as dynamic or as technical as Sula. I think that you can't replace a physical specimen like Sula that easily. And while Christensen certainly has his own physical attributes, um, I don't know that this is a a great replacement. I'll say I think Christensen can come to Bayern Munich and succeed and be a very good player. You just won't get the same type of player, if that makes sense. So, I am on board with a Christensen move. I think it's it's something that Bayern Munich has to get done because I do believe, like I've said a million times, at some point, Julian Nagelsmann is going to pull the trigger on that back three. And you better, you damn well better have three starting caliber center backs around and you better have one or two reserves that are pretty high quality as well. So uh, should Bayern Munich follow through and capture their plan A, I think, Julian Nagelsmann will be happy and the club will be satisfied with that move. The fourth thing that we learned this week is, was pretty interesting to me, and I wrote about it on the site. Julian Nagelsmann thinks Jamal Musiala is not a winger, but more of a Tiago Alcantara type player, which is really fascinating to me because when I look at Musiala, I see a lot of things. I see a winger who can attack with his dribbling and his pace and his passing and his vision and having that dynamic scoring threat from the outside flank. I see that when I see him operate centrally, I see him as a 10 that can create offense for himself and others. And that is that I see him as a player that other defenses always have to account for when he's on the pitch. I see those things. I see that presence offensively. And I think this is a kid who is going to be a creator, a distributor and a scorer for this club for a very long time. And while I never doubted Musiala's ability to play the six or the eight, it never just struck me as that would be his long-term position. I personally really like him as a wing. I think if he was given an extended stay at wing, I think he would outperform Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, and Kingsley Coman. And that's a pretty bold statement. Some would say it's a hot take, but I, I think that much of Musiala's ability as a winger, and I really do like the other three. I think Sané has been 
just really fantastic this season. Coman has been really, really good. And Gnabry, while hot and cold, is still more productive than most wings on the planet. So let's be honest, Byron is stacked at that position. And if I'm saying I think Musiala would be the best of them, that is really high praise. And I'm not saying it for clicks or anything like that. I, I legitimately think that if you gave him a season to just play that position, I think he would be phenomenal. But Julian Nagelsmann doesn't see it that way. He sees Musiala as a player that can help the team facilitate itself from defense to offense, make that transition and be more of a distributor. And I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, Musiala has a great skill set for that. He's got excellent vision. He's got good ball control. He's got such quick feet. He makes quick decisions. He's not a player that's going to be overwhelmed by the speed of play or even the physicality in the center of the park. Uh, Musiala, while not the biggest or strongest player, has such quick movements and such quick feet that he often can elude those defenders coming at him. Uh, and I think that's really something that gets overlooked in his game. He's, an, I, I don't think he's ever going to be this big, strong Leon Goretzka type. I don't think that at all. And I, I don't think he should ever strive to be that. I don't think he should go on the quote unquote Goretzka plan like Mark Roca did. I think that uh, Musiala should uh, really just continue to embrace who he is, what his body type is like, because it makes him so unique. I don't think every player needs to be jacked like Goretzka or like Lewandowski. Um, I think it's helped Goretzka. I think it's helped Lewandowski, but for certain players like Thomas Muller, I mean, seriously, could you, could you seriously, you know, walk around, could you picture Muller walking around with huge traps, uh, you know, guns, sun's out, guns out everywhere, huge chest. No, I, I can't picture it. Part of what makes Muller so effective is how wiry he is and how, how he's able to see things and move on the pitch, his deceptive speed, just like I think Musiala has deceptive speed. Like I, I think if you lined him up, Musiala might not look like he'd be as fast as, say, Sané or even Kingsley Coman or even maybe even Nicolas Sula. But, uh, you know, Musiala is definitely quicker than he looks, and I, I don't discount him because he's got a thin frame. I think it's part of what makes him so effective, and, and I hope he continues to embrace it. But as far as playing the eight, the biggest thing that I thought of when I, I saw this statement and knowing that Leon Goretzka has been injured and has been battling little nagging injuries over the course of his career, you know, what really popped into my head was, was this some, or is this something that Julian Nagelsmann is really planning on doing at the start of next year? One, not just to provide ample coverage with a player he trusts in the central midfield, but is it something that he's going to use to push Goretzka? And is Musiala being pushed into this position to possibly overtake Goretzka from that spot? And that would really be fascinating because Goretzka has been a keystone player for Bayern Munich. Uh, he did have a slow start with the club. I think at that point when he came on, the club was transitioning different coaches, different mentalities. Players were extremely unhappy. Things did not settle down for Goretzka until Hansi Flick took over. And when Flick took over, he put trust in Goretzka and it paid off big time. It paid off in the way of a Champions League victory. So with that, I think that you have to look at Gretzka as one of these players that Byron will continue to build on for the future. But something tells me that if they're thinking about Jamal Musiala as an eight, that that's directly going to impact Leon Gretzka at some point. And it might not be this season. It might not be next season. 
But soon enough, there's going to be a point where Jamal Musiala and Leon Goretzka are going to have to butt heads for playing time. And unless Julian Nagelsmann can come up with some kind of formation that's going to to feature players uh, working together like Kimmich, Goretzka, and Musiala, I don't know how that's all going to work. I can't wrap my head around how Nagelsmann or Nagelsmann is going to to take all of this offensive talent that the club has accumulated and make it all work and keep everyone happy. I don't want to say Byron has been lucky about the injuries because you're never lucky if you're having injured players, but it's not a headache that Nagelsmann has really had to deal with yet because there are so many talented players, so many good players that finding that enough playing time and keeping them all happy is definitely not going to be easy. Um, So for me, as much as I like, Musiala as a winger, or I see Musiala as a potential successor to Thomas Muller. I'm pretty fascinated to see how this plays out with Nagelsmann viewing Musiala as a player he'd like to sit deeper in the formation. So that to me is fascinating and something that we'll have the pleasure of watching play out over the coming seasons. And finally, the fifth thing that we learned this week was really bizarre, and it was the nocturnal admissions from Julian Nagelsmann is he revealed that his wife told him he calls out the names of his players in his sleep at times, which to me is completely bizarre and kind of funny, but uh, we had a a little bit of fun with that on our site. Uh, Obviously I really had to fight back from going with the headline that I really wanted to use on that story. But uh, you know, Nagelsmann, it was just a, a funny little note to top off the week that he's so invested into his team he's so invested into his job and he's borderline crazy i guess that it's always on his mind for him to be having sort of a uh <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to phrase it but like a some kind of a byron tourette's almost where he's you know shouting out names in the middle of his his sleep uh, of his players and you know it's just to me it's it's really funny that he's that into what he's doing and of course being that invested into it ensures that he, uh, you know, it shows you why he's been so successful as a manager as he has. You can tell by looking at some coaches and how they interact with their players and the stories that you read about them and, and the quotes that they give out. You can tell when certain coaches are in. And Nogglesman has always been in, at least to me. Anywhere he's been, whether it's Hoffenheim, Arbe, Leipzig, he is a player, a coach that's always looking for the next new thing to help himself. He's always looking to evolve and get better. And much like Hansi Flick, he is a coach that relies just as much on his relationships, his ability to build those relationships and his communication skills as his tactical ability. Um, you know, Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann is really just one of those coaches that captures everything you want and whether or not he can ever put it all together for Bayern Munich, we'll see. But this story was really funny because, you know, if you, if you just picture him in bed with his wife at night and he's, he's yelling out Kimmich or Muller or Neuer, it's just kind of weird. Right. So thought that was a little bit entertaining and uh, (laughs) kind of really just captured the fun part of this week because there were so many deeper or heavier topics that we dealt with that uh, that was a little fun thing that we had. And at this point, we'll transition over to the what I'm watching portion of the podcast. And as you know, I have been struggling to 
find things to watch, not just find them, but find the time to actually watch them. So when I finished the Byron documentary, I immediately started up on Cobra Kai. And I, I will tell you that I ripped through season four in probably, I think, five days total time. I could have done it a lot quicker than that even because the, the episodes just flow so nicely. Um, but I, uh, I took a little bit of extra time because a couple of nights I, I just passed out when I, when I, as soon as I laid down to go to sleep, I was, I was done. So uh, my season four review uh, is very similar to the first three seasons. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. It was to me a, uh, another good season of Cobra Kai uh, but I will tell you that I did have some concern about some of the things that happened, but let me start out by saying again, the acting, you know, you're not looking for Oscar worthy performances here. I thought it was good enough. Like I always think, uh, I thought the interactions between the adults and the kids were pretty good. The writing's really good. It's creative. It's funny. It's kept this whole storyline fresh with the warring dojos and the interpersonal dynamics between the kids and the adults. And this season, the adults and the kids, uh, I thought it was really well done. And, uh, you know, it's more than anything aside, the nostalgia aside, it's just fun in a world where things are often too heavy, often too deep. Uh, we're bombarded by politics and social media and nonsense all the time. Um, Cobra Kai is legitimately fun. It, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the season. I will tell you, though, um, I thought they had one huge miss in, in the series and I, I in the season. And I can't believe that they missed on this. Right. So I know that, like, you know, one of the things with shows streaming now, there's not as much advertising for, say, Netflix or Prime or any of the streaming uh, platforms that you would see on network television. So we're not bombarded by commercials. We're not seeing tons of billboards and radio ads and all of this. It's much more of a bare bones budget. So they have to make a big splash in some way. So when we got to the tournament scenes and we saw Carrie Underwood come out and sing a song. It's nothing against her. Um, you know, it's kind of good that they got her because it probably drew some more eyes to the show that they didn't have before. But how the hell are you not do playing You're the Best by Joe Esposito? Now, I, most people know the song, you know, just think it's called Best Around, but it's, I think it's technically called You're the Best. But that is still, to me, one of the great songs ever used in a movie. And it was used perfectly in Karate Kid 1 when they hit the tournament montage, how the hell did they not roll that out again? I mean, maybe it was a licensing issue. Maybe there was something else, but damn, that was a missed opportunity. As soon as I saw the tournament, I was like getting amped up because I wanted to hear the song and I was hoping we would get sort of a montage like we had seen in Karate Kid 1, but it didn't happen. And that was really the only disappointing thing that, uh, that, I, that I saw in the season. I, I thought it was just, it was great. Moving forward, though, I do have some concerns, right? So I think that the show probably realized they took this warring dojo thing about as far as they could go. And I think for four seasons, it was absolutely great and entertaining and uh, a lot of fun, like I said. Now, though, they're trying to figure out a way to evolve. And this is really the hit or miss part for this series. How do you evolve from such a fun and entertaining show involving teen dramedy, 
uh, old man <laughs> dynamics, uh, feuds, everything with that. How do you evolve from there? And to me, the way that the season ended, it looks like we have two things that Daniel LaRusso is going to carry on. He's going to continue to fight this dojo war against Terry Silver. Uh, John Kreese is probably going to give us some excellent scenes from the pokey as he is now in prison. If we get to see some crease fight prison brawls, I, I, that would be awesome. And I'm hoping they damn well better have some prison brawls involving crease in season five, because who doesn't want to see old man power come out and kick some ass on the screen in prison. So that that's what I'm hoping for. But, you know, we see that Daniel LaRusso, you know, he enlisted the help of an old enemy to help take on Terry Silver. Uh, the actor that played Terry Silver, honestly did such a fantastic job in season four playing such a deranged person that <laughs> i mean it, it, it's one of those things where the nostalgia really kicked in and, and i thought he captured that character great um so yeah I, I mean there'll be that subplot but the other part of this that seems like we're going to get johnny and possibly robbie I don't know if Robbie will be involved, but we're definitely going to see Johnny playing some kind of commando role, heading to Mexico and probably getting in fights with a drug cartel or something. Just I'm making this assumption. Um, I'm kind of trying to put look into the crystal ball here and see what I'm predicting. But we did hear a couple of things that Miguel's dad is apparently a bad dude. Right. So we know that we know that he's going to Mexico city and we know that Johnny sounds like he's going to chase him. So, um, I'm just picturing Johnny going into some kind of commando role. And it, this to me right now sounds all absurd. Um, I mean, I'm sure it will be fun, but, uh, you know, I'm a little worried about how that comes off and I'm a little worried about whether they can really milk another season out of the dojo wars, uh, with Daniel and Terry silver. So this is the first time I've actually felt like I've had some doubt about how this will go. So I'm going to put my trust in the writers of this series and hope like hell that they can come up with something that not only is fun and entertaining, but also makes sense. Uh, I will say that one of the things that initially drew me to this was really the redemption story of Johnny Lawrence and how he was trying to get his life together. But, you know, given that character, every time he made some progress, it was really one step forward, two steps back. And to me, he's the star of the series. And I think now it's shifting away from him. And that's also uh, really it's a risk for the show because part of the great comedy of the show is are all the eighties references that Johnny makes. It's his shirts that he wears. I mean, he had a, just an awesome Van Halen shirt on this season. Uh, all the music that he plays, it's just legitimately the best part of the show. And if the show starts to take some of the focus away from him and maybe shifts over to the kids, it won't be as good in my eyes, but we'll see how this goes. The writers have been successful for four seasons that is no small task, so hopefully we can trust them to have a great fifth season as well. If you haven't checked out the series, I highly encourage you to. It's on Netflix. If you liked The Karate Kid uh, when you were younger, if you're my age, I'm 45, so uh, if you liked it when you were younger, you will absolutely love this series. There's very rarely been a movie or a series that has recaptured the magic of the original like this one has, so uh, I mean, I thought this would be a joke when I first heard about it, but it's just been fantastic to me. And and maybe I judge it a little less harshly because, you know, I look for something fun, right? Um, 
you know, we, like I said, there's so much deep stuff. There's so many issues and so many people arguing at some point, I like to unplug my brain and watch something just for the fun of it. And this, this satisfies that for me. As for what I'm moving on to next, I still have to catch up on Boba Fett and I have started Ozark, which I can tell you is absolutely crazy. And I'm only one episode into the latest season. So hopefully I can make some progress on those and I'll give you a wrap up on those as well. As always, thank you for listening. And if you're not a Cobra Kai fan, sorry you had to endure those last 10 minutes or so, but I'd encourage you to give it a shot uh, or try it again if you didn't like it the first time. But, uh, you know, this is a lot of fun. So uh, keep sticking with us. Keep checking out BavarianFootballWorks.com for all of your latest Bayern Munich and German national team coverage. You can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get our site at BavarianFBWorks. You can get Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. He is the tweetmeister for our site. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. He's been a little silent this week, maybe a little busy, so I'm sure he'll be rip-roaring into the weekend for the game coverage, so check him out there. And you'll also hear Schnitzel and Samrin back on the air at some point, and they love bringing new podcasts as well. So, Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend and enjoy the match. It felt weird with the international break being there. I am ready for a game. I think a lot of you are too. So let's have a couple of beers and enjoy this one. We'll see you next time.